as we seek to understand the world around us, even our most contemporary observations and studies eventually take us back to the beginning. Where do we come from? What is our origin? A child wants to know about their birth story. In premarital counseling, we talk about our family history to know where we come from and whom we come from and what maybe our patterns or tendencies might be. In plants and animals, we study seeds and fertility to learn about, well, just about everything. Religious traditions are no different. In the fourth year of education for ministry, some of you may know, the emphasis on theology is a practical one. Among other things, our understanding of God shapes how we view our purpose in life and how we relate to one another. In religion, too, we focus on the beginning, our origin story to guide our way forward. In the book, Braiding Sweetgrass, Indigenous Wisdom, Scientific Knowledge, and the Teaching of Plants, Potawatomi citizen, mother, scientist, and decorated professor, Robin Wall Kimmerer begins her book with a preface that is an invitation, really, an invitation to receive the stories that she has to tell and that she tells beautifully. The first chapter, Sky Woman Falling, is the origin story as she adapts it from oral tradition of the creation of our planet, Turtle Island, as it is called among many. This story, however, is about more than the origin of our Earth. She writes, the story of Sky Woman's journey holds our beliefs, our history, and our relationships. Images of Sky Woman speak not just of where we came from, but also of how we can go forward. So on this Trinity Sunday, I recognize the gift we have to think about how we understand our beginnings from the very beginning of creation and the beginning of our beloved church. In the beginning, there was a formless void and depth over which God called forth what was to be, which was created and was named. Creation is, and it is good, and it is blessed. Indeed, everything that was created is very good. And have you noticed in all the times you've heard or read this story that God puts forth the intention, that the idea is given shape and form, and the creation is given a name? So it's no wonder that we like everything to be named and labeled and understood. Those of us who have grown up in the Christian church or Abrahamic traditions have been told from the beginning that all of creation is given a name, is blessed with a word. So there are a few words in our origin story that I'd like to draw particular attention to. The first couple which have been given perhaps too much attention and ones maybe not enough. Those of you particularly passionate about stewardship and care of creation are probably keenly aware of the problems that have arisen because of the words subdue and dominion. 
when it comes to how we relate with creation that God wanted humankind to subdue the earth and granted dominion quickly give rise to problems when such power is used to the detriment of what has been dominated and not to mutual benefit. The distortion of presuming that those who have been granted the responsibility of stewardship have power over, including maybe over the one who has, been, who has done the creating, leads quickly to the path of idolatry and greed, prominent sins of our time and perhaps through all time. As much as the dominant in Christian society like to emphasize the God-given directive to rule over, there's relative silence over God creating in God's image as is spoken. Neglect of emphasizing that God said, let us make humankind in our image allows us to carry on through years in gendered binary view of God. As Dr. Will Gaffney pointed out for us during her Tippy McMichael lecture, she focuses on feminine pronouns and images of God because not doing so for millennia has distanced many from God. And she also named that to go to the inclusive pronoun of they, them for God would be a step that not many are ready or able to make. But God, the royal we, the holy trinity, created in their divine image, created all of us, the entirety of creation. And it is good, it is blessed, and it is enough. So even with care, sustenance, and blessing from God as fundamental in our origin and belief, the stories throughout our Holy Scripture and our history reveal how we have ebbed and flowed in living in right relationship with God and one another, distorted power between us, violence among us, and outright aggression create a distance between us and from a loving God, as if we were closer to that original void than a benevolent creator. In the presence of the resurrected Christ, even some of the 11 disciples doubted. They had had such hope in Jesus that things would finally change. Life felt truly different in the physical presence of the Son of God. And when he was crucified, that hope was dashed. Dare they hope again? Even receiving a command from one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, would it make a difference? Could we make a difference? Could I make a difference? Many of us have been baptized in the name of our triune God. We are the disciples now. We have been given commands and share in the teachings of Christ. Christ is with us to the end of the age, yet don't some of us still doubt? Of course we do. And while Paul quaintly tells us to put things in order, to agree with one another, and to live in peace, that's fine if he means to get along with those we already get along with. But that's not all that he means. Getting along with one another is good in our existing and loving relationships. And those relationships show us what is possible even with those for whom we disagree, outright dislike, and want to hate. What is hate but a distortion of love? We hate that which we cannot tolerate, and we often hate that which we fear. And I hate to use the word hate. 
but I think you know what I mean. I do, not to pre I do not pretend to understand what you might hate, but I will say that my experience has been that when I think that I hate something, if I look at it deeply enough, if I trace it as far back as I can, even if it involves some imagination, I can find what was broken, what was separated from love, what was abused or stripped of dignity, care, and respect. I find the suffering and realize that that suffering is mine too, not because I caused it, but because we are neighbors. We are kin to one another in this kingdom of creation. And what do I do with that? I could separate myself from that which hurts, identifying it as your problem, their problem, not my problem. And heaven forbid their suffering actually be linked to a suffering that I have experienced too. What would we do with that? What could we do that is mutually life-giving, loving, and liberating for all? The truth-telling and reckoning necessary for healing and for true peace are not easy, but the invitation is ours to extend and to receive. And why? Why is the invitation ours? Because creation, as God created it, is good and blessed. We, in our thought, words, and deeds, have at some point chosen to distort chosen not to recognize our kinship, including our relationship with God as our first and foremost love. And because the well-being of creation is given to our care, it is our mutual responsibility to make sure that we are all restored to union with God. That unity is the mission of the church. Our history guides us going forward, not specifically, but generally. We move forward in communion with God and with one another. It's in our creation to be together, to share with one another, to commune together. It's in our covenant to work together to manifest the community of heaven on earth. It's our blessing to be in unity of one mind and one spirit. While Kimmerer wrote her book with the knowledge of what has transpired through history, Still, she invites us into the precious, sacred stories of her people, knowing that there are those who have tried to erase them, that there are those who are still desecrating creation as we speak. She knows what others know, too, that indigenous ways are key to saving Turtle Island, this fragile earth, our island home. Their ways are bound in relationship to one another, not only among humans, but also between humans and animals and plants, land and water, sky and spirit, everything connected, especially in spirit. And this way of connection is in our tradition too. Only somewhere along the way, we fell into the mindset that our well-being was affirmed by our comfort rather than the well-being of ourselves among and with creation, the physical and the spiritual. But the way that Jesus shows us is not to focus inward on ourselves or even on the law alone. Jesus was always pushing folks outside their comfort zone and into healthy relationship, into communion. Do the thing you think you cannot do. Imagine that which you cannot conceive. Risk it all. What do you have to lose? Or more importantly, what do we have to gain? 
we do not live isolated from one another, or at least we don't thrive in isolation. Part of the ineffable grace of Jesus Christ is the invitation, the way into fullness of relationship with God, which reciprocally somehow brings us more closely into relationship with one another. Abundant love is like that. In union with God is the fullness of joy, of being, of that peace that passes all understanding and exceeds all our imagining. If we're paying attention, we might recognize, too, the communion of the Holy Spirit in the midst of it all, moving among us with a power that strengthens us and attunes us to God's dream for us. So I dare not try to explain how God is three and one and one and three, but as I live and move and have my being, I believe that we are all wonderfully made, beautifully loved, and divinely inspired, and that we have the ability and the responsibility to continue revealing God's love and care for all creation as we move forward together. Amen.